High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. forward to that edition of the Donna's for a long time. Feels like an endless summer. But ladies and gentlemen, this is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is back in session. That's right, it's your junior year, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Oh, baby, I've been waiting a long time for that old Better Off Dead clip, too. Homework is back, and sorry, I forgot to assign you the homework last Friday. So, I'm going to let today slide, but today we're talking almost famous. It's the beginning of our junior year, and we have an all-timer to discuss, and an all-time favorite guest is here. His name is Kyle Reinfried. He hosts Foodie Films, but of course, with me, my other show on the Cage Club Podcast Network, P.S. I Love Hoffman, he hosts that with me too. So, we're like Almost Famous experts there. As you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in the film Almost Famous, so we've talked about it a ton there. I figure, why not bring him over? We actually watched the bootleg cut, which is the extended edition. We watched that right before recording this episode, so we were all jacked up on Almost Famous. And why wouldn't you be? It's a great film. But before any of that, let's do the homework that's required every week. Of course, that is hit that subscribe button wherever you're hearing this podcast right now, whether it be Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And if you've hit that subscribe button, maybe you haven't given us a review. Maybe you haven't given us a five-star rating. Let's start this junior year off strong. And if this is your first episode, we've already had a freshman year. We've already had a sophomore year. Do the math. We're going strong. And we're going to graduate. I think we're going to graduate on time. But before that... Junior year is like the best year, right? You already know the lay of the land, but you don't have the pressure of being a senior and ending. You're right in the meat of high school. You're professional high schoolers now. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. But before any of that, we have a very special edition today of High School Movie News. with high school movie news. And for those of you in the United States, happy Labor Day. Sometimes I forget what day of the week it is, but hey, I'm excited for this new segment for a couple reasons. Well, I guess our first news story is exciting. So I mentioned this in my other capacity as host of P.S. I Love Hoffman, but 
oh my god, P.T. Anderson, he has a movie coming out. We're not sure the title yet. It's very secret. I've mentioned it also, I think, on High School Movie News, too. Like I said, I'm getting all my signals crossed. Anyway, this movie, it's a high school movie. So one of the greatest directors of our time is going to make a high school movie? Color me intrigued. And guess what? Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper Hoffman, is going to be one of the stars. We are tracking this story. We'll let you know about this movie, and we're going to cover this one right away. Trust me. And... I just really wish that our guest today, Kyle Reinfried of Foodie Films and also my co-host on PSL of Hoffman, well, I wish he knew the news and I knew the news while we recorded this episode, because it probably would have been a good segment, but apologies for that, but we'll get him on soon to talk about it. When we get more information, I'll tell you, I promise. Now, some sobering news, some scary news. Let's not forget, we're in a pandemic, people. Shout out to my healthcare heroes. But oh my god, Robert Pattinson, our Pats, Team Edward himself, has COVID. We're definitely wishing him a speedy and safe recovery from the coronavirus. But yeah, that one hits home. We can't wait to talk more Twilight films with Kate Hudson. And oh my god, just the idea of, of one of our heroes, one of our favorites getting COVID. I don't even want to think about it, but we wish him all the good, good vibes and the good knowledge for how to best cope with whatever symptoms he's going through. I'm going to leave that as like the end of High School Movie News today. There's a lot of other movies that came out over Labor Day, but there's so much. I just want to get to this episode. I think we'll do a segment next episode, which is on Friday. I know I'm moving this segment around, but there's a lot of news, including a movie I'm really excited about that I think came out today or a couple days ago, Critical Thinking. It's a chess film. We're going to talk about it. Trust me. Chess, high school. You probably, if you're a fan of the show, know who my guest is going to be. So we'll tackle that when we tackle that. This has been a brief but important edition of High School Movie News. Get well soon, Arpats. Good stuff, as always, from Brian Rodriguez. Very informative news segment right there. Looking forward to this news update on Friday. And wow, our pets. Get well soon, buddy. Get well soon. Well, before we talk about Almost Famous, all the music, all the good times, all the high school elements, and anyone questioning it, this movie has huge high school elements, okay? We're going to talk about it. But before any of that... Did you do your kind of summer homework? Well, did you listen to our Goofy Movie episode with my cousin Pumpkin? Oh my god, it was awesome. It was dope. I'm not going to reveal everything right now, but trust me, listen to it. There's a shocking ending, a surprise ending, and you can catch that at cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts. You know that by now. And remember, we're back in our junior year. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. A tremendous part of your grade. So you want to... Participate on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and by emailing us at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And this is a sweet sound because I've been waiting a long time to say this. The bell doesn't dismiss you. 
I dismiss you. Oh, back to school vibes all over. Welcome back, whether you're remote or in person. This is great. Ooh, I got those butterflies. Remember those back to school butterflies? I cannot wait. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I'm going to leave you with a song from the band in this film. Of course, that band is Stillwater. Or should I say, from Troy, Michigan, Stillwater! And the song is Fever Dog. Class dismissed. safe but yeah we're in your living you're room bo- right you're right by my music nook we've talked music you know you're a music guy so i got a didgeridoo right there you do have a didgeridoo you've had where called, is it it's okay, not, it's it's in the, behind it's a, me yeah you've had it since high school i have yeah i and i've got something that you gave me over there uh it's the freddy pose and it's a little you know, you can be anything you want to be very true message. very true inspirational uh today we're talking about Almost famous on the twentieth anniversary. Not exactly. This is the this is the twentieth anniversary year. Yes. Um, and you and I actually just watched the what's called the bootleg edition of Almost Famous, which is the director's cut. It's rare to get, but we watched it for our other show. P.S. I love Hoffman, and you know we do rewatches there. We talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman movies, and we've talked about Almost Famous a lot. So I figured you're the perfect guest. Also, I know you just saw it. I know you did your homework because we did. Our homework together. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed on the cover it says Untitled down there on our channel. Oh, cool, cool. And yeah. we'll, we'll get into the meaning of all that, but before any of that, Kyle, uh, do you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party? Yes. Kyle Reinfried, Northern Valley Regional High School at Old Japan, class of 05. Go Golden Knights. Nice, nice. So, almost famous. Woo. <laughs> oh this movie this such movie. a good movie such a good movie so like i said we got a chance to it's everything to watch it together we've talked about it so many times so today i think we're gonna more talk about it in a high school lens because there was a time kyle where i didn't even consider this a high school movie i remember on hoffman you and i were talking about like my podcast here and i was like oh i think the only movie i could really do is my boyfriend's back and there were some talks of 25th Hour, but not really. And then you're like, what about Almost Famous? And I was like, really? Is that a high school movie? But as I've gone along with this podcast, it's definitely a high school movie. Even besides this bootleg cut that we just watched, which had more high school scenes in it, uh, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a a high school film. It's a movie about a high schooler, arguably maybe even two 
people of high school age. It's a movie where, you know, school is really important. His age is really important. You know, I can't wait to talk about it in a different lens because Philip Zimmer Hoffman, we love him. We have a whole show about him, and we've usually focused a lot of the conversation on that, on his performance, which is amazing. I still want to talk about that today, but I just want to, you know, for lack of a better term, just jam out on how awesome the film Almost Famous is. What's your experience with this film besides the Hoffman stuff? Like, when did you first see it? <laughs> this was a Reinfried family movie night. I feel like a lot of movies I talk with you on here. Yeah, are interesting. Family movie nights. I remember. I always I guess remember a lot of high school films. So. <laughs> True. I always remember that. Uh, I think you saw The Cooler, which is a William H Macy yeah. film on a Reinfried yeah. family movie night, and you came to school. You're like, not a good movie. Not a good you did not recommend The Cooler. I'll have to rewatch it. I'll have to give it another chance. But this movie, oh, this movie, boy. So okay, so I watched it via home video. Whether you know, I remember year two thousand was the year we uh, got our first DVD player. So whether it was DVD or VHS, the future, the, the year two thousand, the year two thousand. So family movie night, and this is such a great movie. Definitely some awkward moments when we were doing the rewatch for P.S. I Still Love Hoffman. I said, like, ooh, like, when it comes to his Williams deflowering scene, like, yeah, that was awkward <laughs> to watch with my parents. But this is a fantastic, I think this is a fantastic movie to watch with your family when your kids are of that coming of age time. For sure. We were 13 when this came out. You know, if I watched it on video, uh, I'm assuming this, let's see, when did this come out? Uh, oh, September 22nd, 2000. So, okay, so I probably saw it by, I don't know, maybe even in early 2001. September 22nd, that's great. So we're closer to the exact 20th anniversary than I thought. Yeah. We're only a couple weeks away. Awesome. That's really cool. We saw this, not together originally, but we saw it both around the same time. I did see it in the theater. I know you said you didn't see it in the theater, but definitely around either when, like, the VHS on DVD came out. Yeah, or... I, was, I was probably, like, I mean... 13 and a half when I saw this. I, I remember watching it in the summer. So if it came out in September, probably like a year later, but that's when it was on like its run on whatever, like the premium channels, whether it be mm-hmm. HBO, Cinemax, whoever got it at that yeah. time. And that was a summer where I really, really watched a lot of movies. A lot of movies. So that must have been the summer going into high school, right? That would be, yes, the yeah. summer going to high school, yeah. So I remember just, I watched movies, you know, wire to wire that summer. <laughs> the first movie of the summer, actually, fans of this podcast network will like it, was The Fast and the Furious with uh, <laughs> people from middle school, but also people from high school, so you know them, uh, our good old friend Sam and uh, Wasim. We went to see The Fast and Furious. (laughs) And then after that, I was just watching movies all the time. That's like when I saw Bring It On for the first time. It was a big summer in terms of like my development of this podcast, to be completely honest with you, going into high school. And remember that feeling before you're in high school and most of your knowledge on high school comes from movies, you know, and you kind of think it's going to be like that? For sure. (laughs) Like how is, I mean, I was going to have to come up with elaborate schemes on how to skip school. (laughs) (laughs) That's what was, that's what high school, that's what it was gonna be. You know, I definitely, I knew high school wasn't gonna be American Pie. I probably didn't even see American Pie before high school, to be honest. 
But, yeah, seeing this movie right around, you know, whether you saw it a little after me, what have you, but it was just the perfect time because this character is, what, supposed to be, you know, 16 years old at the oldest or something like that? You know, so he, well, yeah, if he's, I think he skipped three grades, so yeah, I think he's supposed to be like, yeah, 15 going on 16. Mm -hmm. So he still technically would be a high schooler, even at his regular age, he would just be in a different grade. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's graduating high school, he should be like a freshman. Yeah. So it's just the perfect time to watch this because we're, we are like, yeah, we're right around the age that William is, uh, you know, or I get, you know, in that three, since he's like in that hole, he, he thinks he's a certain age, but he's three years younger. And just him being thrown into this good kind of, but like this hellfire, it's just, you know, it's, tri- <laughs> it's a trial by fire. And just the passion that he has is just amazing uh, for, you know, the music. And by that point, I mean, I definitely was really into music. I was listening to what my parents, particularly my dad, was listening to. I was, I'm always behind on the times of music, but uh, I'm a pretty old soul when it comes to music. And I, I remember even after watching this, you know, I knew... Crocodile Rock by Elton John, and I knew Lion King songs by Elton John. <laughs> I didn't know the album Madman Across the Water. I think I had what did I have Napster then or LimeWire or Ooh, something yeah. like that. Oh yeah, and I remember downloading and CX and, 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 and <laughs> ruined know, a lot of computers. Early days of internet, you know, dial-up still. And being like, oh man, I gotta get this album Madman Across the Water. And my dad's like, I've got that. Oh wow! And he's like, I've got it on vinyl. I've got it on CD. Like, let's listen to it. And you just, oh god! And you just listen to that album. And you listen to, I have this soundtrack on CD somewhere. It's just so so good. And the music, it just listening to it. And you're at that age when music really starts becoming just that next level. Besides just stuff in the background. Oh, for sure. Just when you're falling in love with everything. Yeah, you're so impressionable. You're just just at that point where, like, yeah, just actual love or uh, lust, it's just there. Sex disguises love, love disguises sex. Exactly. Perfect. So you brought up American Pie, and you reminded me of something. We're not going to talk about it now, but I have a favor I need to ask you. Oh, when I fucked the pie. Oh. No, no, no. Sorry. (laughs) I have a favor I need to ask you. It relates to American Pie. And my cousin Pumpkin. So remind me to ask you at the end of this okay. podcast. So I've got to write down American Pie and Pumpkin. <laughs> pumpkin Pie. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, no, but you're hitting the nail on the head so much. And before we get too ahead of ourselves, every week I read back of DVD, back of VHS. I might as well read the back of this bootleg Blu-ray we yeah. have in front of us. But if you guys have not heard of Almost Famous, come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. But here goes. It's a backstage pass of a lifetime when teenage reporter William Miller lands an assignment from Rolling Stone magazine. Despite the objections of his overly protective mother, William hits the road with the up-and-coming rock band Stillwater. With the help of gorgeous band-aid Penny Lane, (laughs) William is drawn into the band's inner circle and finds there's a lot more to write home about than music. You couldn't come up with a better adjective than gorgeous, just like electrifying, illuminating. Yeah, illuminating. Like that's the same thing as like that too. Awe shockingly. It's not just her looks that are amazing here. Yes, she's a pretty lady. It's. But... Her, it's. I mean, yes, insanely gorgeous. <laughs> I. I love Kate Hudson. 
so yeah, like yes, like gorgeous. But in another physicality sense, her her smile, her eyes, just the way she—I've never been in an actual room with her. But the way she walks into rooms in this movie or in other movies, it's just like she just lights it. She's luminescent. And the and, control she has, you know, like she's like a powerful character here. She's not just like a an accessory here. And gorgeous makes it seem like an accessory. I love. I mean, between Patrick Fugit and then her. Just these young actors. Yes, she was born into royalty. She has a couple of titles under her belt. I mean, he doesn't at all. He was, you know, like, a, did some plays and stuff like that, but he's 16 years old and ends up leading in one of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion. And and that's the thing, right? Like, this is something that more and more, and you're going to see more articles about it as the actual 20th anniversary comes up, but more and more people are like, wow, this is one in my top five films. And I don't think at the time it was appreciated enough. Yes, it got nominated for awards. Yes, everyone's like, you got to see this movie Almost Famous. But it didn't make a lot of money. It wasn't considered a hit. And I think I might have said this on Hoffman, but how crazy is it that you've probably never met someone who just said Almost Famous? Eh, or Almost Famous. (laughs) Yeah, that movie stinks, you know? Most people love this movie. And if you don't love it, you at least respect it for what it is. If you don't love this movie, you definitely don't love music. And I'm not trying to be pretentious right now, but that's just <laughs> but there's just no possible way this is I am shocked you haven't brought this up yet, but to quote myself, film is my wife, music is my mistress. <laughs> and this is a this is a perfect marriage of the two. I know you and I have had discussions on potential future projects and not to tease too much, but it's something that we've considered talking about you know a little bit more music and stuff i'll leave it at that yes yes to leave it at that but yeah when it comes to movies about music or just music in films that would be even the whole thing like if you i don't know for had some kind of different story but you just had again the soundtrack from this like it was that period and they used the soundtrack fantastic soundtrack alone absolutely but then you make this movie that just kind of covers you know, just so many different angles of the industry and doesn't glorify or just, it just lets you, I think, determine for yourself. You you know, I, I definitely, I still do, but even probably watching it then, yeah, you watch it. And since William is our channel into this story, uh, and and being around his age, yeah, like you're like, oh yeah, like this would be. Imagine if I got to be on the road and I'm traveling. I mean, hell, going into when I was in eighth grade, I got to be in the high school marching band. Okay? Is that when you followed Aerosmith on the road? Never that, that was never said. <laughs> that was never ever said. That that was a rumor that you said that. Bullshit. Okay. I've never, even, I've never even seen... That would be the most... Pa- like, <laughs> I've never even seen them. I would love to see them. Not now, really, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, you were in the marching band. But yes, so, yeah, that was, like, my sister's two years older than me, so she was, what, a sophomore. They needed more for the choreography, like, the placement of people on the field. They needed a fourth snare drummer, and so they were asking people in the marching band if they had a younger sibling, because they would do that time to time. So it was, like, me, and there were uh, Ryan McHugh, Amanda Benaghi, Valerie Thurnow. I think we were, like, the only four 
eighth graders that were in the high school marching band. And I used to get to on Fridays when there would be after after school practice at the high school since high school ended earlier than middle school. I got to leave middle school oh, wow. early. That's cool. And you were in the band. And I was in the <laughs> band. And there was there were so there were no freshmen in the band. There were uh three sophomores a junior and the rest and when i say the rest there was at least then like six seven eight of them all seniors so i'm in eighth grade i'm hanging out and i know you know so like at least one of the names that guy zach bruce mm-hmm. that's why i started wearing hemp chains and <laughs> clogs and stuff like that Your high school they up. had they the one kid mike graves had a it wasn't a bronco it was like a chevy that was kind of that style like truck yeah, but like no, you know, no, like yeah, had the about. had the hard top of yeah, the pickup, I, I know what you're about, and they yeah. called it the Dapper Mobile, <laughs> and they used to just like we used to toss all the drums in the back of it, and they would like toss me in the back of it too, and like they would go down, you know, that road where the uh, on the side of where um oh god, what was that stuff with the you know the climb the walls and the zip lines what was that called oh project Adventure. yeah over the, you know that road that went over there yeah like down, it was like a dirt road Fox they used to just yeah. like gun it down there and be hitting bumps i'd be in the back with the <laughs> snare drums and the bass drums and the quads hitting me high point of your life like at that point <laughs> of course at that point yeah that was like an init- initiation it was just these guys were just you know and i was totally being like made fun of and like i realize now like i remember seeing one of them because where we grew up and the uh i won't name names but one of them was i mean all, all the towns by us are pretty affluent and there's kids that i have way too much money for being their age i remember like and then also experimenting in drugs i remember seeing one of them like taking like fucking acid i had no idea what that was at that time <laughs> but yeah like so i kind of had this moment back then with the uh with the high school marching band that was just like this is cool. Like, imagine if, like, this continues. <laughs> or, like, yeah, like, this is just a... And did it? Amplify... No, never in a million. I'm just joking. I was saying uh, <laughs> But imagine, like, yeah, if, like, on an amplified level, what William is getting to experience and the magic that this movie shows is just phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. I'm going to ask you a question. Is this the greatest rock movie of all time? Greatest rock movie of all time. I know you're a big <sighs> fan of Rockstar with, with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Greatest rock movie of all time. I mean, I'm definitely going to say, off the top of my head, I'm going to say definitely yes in the top five. Is the greatest rock movie of all time. I'm trying to think of like some... You weren't a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody. No, fuck Bohemian Rhapsody. Rock, rock of Ages? Rock of Ages. <laughs> I'm trying rock school of rock mm, i mean I, I, I like it i mean you know i obviously love high fidelity but that's not like yeah i don't I, I like, is more of a music movie you know it's a movie you really like that thing you do but you no, can't, you, you can't say that. yeah i was gonna say you can't say that no then i i have to yeah so without like detroit really rock city deep diving into it the doors wayne's Doug. world i would consider a rock movie wayne's world is up there god the doors is too avant-garde for me and it's not even avant-garde. But, yeah, so, greatest rock movie of all time. This movie's easily my top ten favorite films of all time. It's uh, just... Honestly, I'm struggling to come up with what's a better rock movie. Uh, it might be my favorite rock movie of all time. Love and Mercy. That was a good movie. It was good, yeah, but come on. Like, you know. <laughs> movies about rock and roll. Oh, Tenacious D, fuck yeah. Fuck Rock <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, this has to be, right? Right? Like, you don't think of it that way, but when Bye you... Bye Bye Birdie. When you come to... You know it's good under a movie? Un- the Runaways. I like The Runaways. I don't know why it didn't get more traction when it came out. La Bamba. Runaways, arguably a high school movie. Oh. I have to, I have to you know, confirm that. I think you do... Yeah, this has to be. This has to be the best movie about rock and roll of all time. Yeah, right? So when you think of it like that, this is a this is a big episode, a big day, and a big anniversary. 20 years. It makes me feel old, though, because we both, you know, distinctly remember watching this kind of stuff for the first time. Yeah, we're unfortunately getting to the age where, like, I'm always very impressed by people that are like, oh, I remember that from when I was, like, four, five, six. I'm like, what the f... I, 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 I'm not good with that I have a stuff. good memory. I'm finally starting to forget. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm like, oh, my God that happened with certain stuff I'm like wow yeah so we're getting to the like now to the age like of as far as like most people's memories can go back is like where I have have kept my memories from for better or for worse makes sense makes sense <laughs> so have to mention uh, we talked about this a lot on the Hoffman episode but the most recent one but Origins podcast with James Andrew Miller so much new Almost Famous Info came from that. Origins is a great podcast. I think they did like a Sex and the City season, but they don't just do films and stuff. They just Yeah, kinda... so they do chapters or... Yeah, they call it chapters yeah, or right? whatever. So I think this was but the it's really seasons, chapter. Yeah, yeah it's, it's odd like that. I don't know who he is. I don't know him except from this podcast. But yeah. when he got Cameron Crowe together, a lot of people were going to mention in the cast here, and they provided so much insight. And let's start with Cameron Crowe when we talk about production when i was listening to this podcast it made me realize i'm always like thinking of what is the almost mount rushmore of high school movie filmmakers teen movie filmmakers yeah you're a history guy like that's i love history i I love teen movies you love Uh, monuments monuments yes not the monuments men though monuments men that's Uh, a good movie also, I know Mount Rushmore is a little bit problematic, built on the right. American so land. All right, people take it easy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Remind me. But theoretically, the, the top four, the, the Beatles, if you will, of, right. of uh, teen movie creators. And John Hughes, obviously, up there. I know he can be problematic as well, but you can't deny that John... you said the Beatles, John beat Yoko. There we go. Oh, everyone everyone sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Hughes is on, John Hughes is on this... Uh, Mount Rushmore for sure. And then everyone always says, and I agree, Amy Heckerling, who did Clueless and Fast Times. And when you, to me, if you get like two that are potentially in the top 10, you're on there, you know? Yeah. But when we talk Fast Times, right? Who wrote Fast Times, the book and, you know, the screenplay, who was so instrumental in that? Cameron Crowe as well. Mm-hmm. And then you have Say Anything with him. And then you have this film, if we're counting it as a high school film, and we certainly should. Yeah. So Cameron Crowe's got to be on this Mount Rushmore for you know, at least American teen movie film creators, right? I mean, yeah, he has to be, just from my my knowledge of high school age movies, and you just named, obviously, some of the bigger ones of, of what you'll be covering or what you have covered, Absolutely. so you gotta. And ironically, he's not coming off a high school movie, this. He's coming off his biggest hit ever. He's coming off, like, the thing that people are like, okay, this is a legitimate filmmaker. He's coming off Jerry Maguire, which they covered on Cruise Club on this network. It's kind of funny with knowing, like, what that movie was, and then that Almost Famous really didn't make a lot of money, that, like, the line of Jerry Maguire's Show Me the Money. (laughs) (laughs) 
But Jerry Maguire, again, I love Jerry Maguire. I'm a sports guy. I think it's a great movie. But that's like, oh, you've made it. Now here's the money to make whatever you really, truly want right now. Yeah. Which is what Almost Famous is. His history is so fascinating, and we have to go into it a little bit because it's so intertwined with this movie because this isn't exactly autobiographical, but so much of it is drawn from his life. Heavily influenced by just his time from, I think, like, you know... 13, 14 years until his mid-20s, at least, late-20s. Yeah, so he, what, I think, just like the character of William in this film, his mom, like, left him back. Or, sorry, his mom accelerated his education, what, like, three years or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah he was supposed years. to be in kindergarten. He was in second or third grade. Crazy, crazy. And his mom is very similar to the, the mother character here, and we'll get into it. But he graduated high school he actually did miss his graduation like in this film because he was off writing articles for rock magazines with cream and then rolling stone and eventually there was one even local san diego yeah yeah. which is i think he mentioned the one his sister worked at yeah yeah and you know he's just meeting bands and he's getting covers at rolling stone at such a young age that he was able to take the the year's of his life that most of us are still kind of discovering stuff to be almost not retire from Rolling Stone, but like, you know, start a new chapter. That's when he, he actually goes undercover in high school and writes fast times. And then the movie comes out of that, then he becomes a filmmaker. And we'll talk about more of that stuff. Obviously when we talk fast times, whenever that is, but Oh my God. Right. Like what a history for a guy that just seems from like listening to his interviews, his conversations on origins, how jovial he is. He's got such a, to me at least uh cliche quintessential like Southern California, San Diego, like, yeah, all right. And like, you know, especially doesn't like confrontation, very like diffusing, hey. very happy go lucky kind of guy. So for as much as he is that he was always obviously mature like beyond his years and kind of an old soul so yeah it is really interesting to see like what he accomplished in such a short period and where he was in our in his life when like you said when we were all still kind of at around that age discovering ourselves and he's already like an accomplished writer for Rolling Stone I mean when he was 21 years old he goes back and he goes undercover to start writing his Fast Times at Ridgemont High book. So that's, you know, it's crazy. It's it's crazy. Um, and I know some people probably listening are like, oh, but what about his later career? This is a what have you done for me lately world. And I know, again, some of that has been problematic as well. However, what he accomplished before he's like 40 is more than most filmmakers accomplish, yeah, most you, people accomplish you know ever what? in their lifetime. Like the guy, I mean... Like, his first four films, Say Anything, Singles, Jerry Maguire, and Almost Famous. Like, you just... But Singles, another music film. Yeah. And then if you want to throw Fast Times in there, as, you know, writing the book and writing the screenplay. Yeah, the guy made, like, four amazing films, and then you can go ahead and you can judge the rest of his work for whether you don't like it or not, or whether it's, you know, Aloha being problematic. <laughs> You know what? Just like if if you love something, you can still love that thing. And then if you want to talk about things you don't like, then you can talk about that too. But unless I found out something that he did while making, and it's not like I know we're not putting Cameron Crowe on no, 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 a no, magnifying no, no, no. glass right now. But in a world of cancel culture, and I mean, and a lot of people 
being pointed out for, you know, and called out for doing some atrocious things. I'm in the camp of, like, if it, if that stuff, like, brought you joy, like, still, like, you know, let it, like, you do you and let it make you happy, be happy. I mean, so, it's fair. It's fair. And this movie's just... It, look, it's oh. so, this movie's so personal, so we can't not talk about Cameron Crowe, and he deserves it. He made, you know, what I consider a masterpiece here. And we just watched it, except for, like, maybe 0.5% of it. It ages really, really well. Well, it's a timeless story. For sure. Yeah, I mean, even obviously when it was made in 2000, so it's a period piece. So at that point, he's telling a story from, what, what would that be, 27 years prior? And Mm -hmm. now it's 47 years prior? Crazy. But it's just a, a timeless story of family. It is a kind of a hero's journey in a way. And we just get this young character, William, that just has such passion, such love for something that, whether it's music or, you know, anything that's covered in this movie or something else, like, I think you can just relate with him. And plenty of other characters in this movie, too, that just show that their their love and their admiration. And this is the movie that made, you know, like, we're not groupies, we're band-aids. And just, like, <laughs> just different, <laughs> like, learning about people and just, like, their passion. Uh, what, what's her name? Faruka Baltz or whatever. I feel I can never pronounce it. <laughs> but just at the end when she's just, like, you know, just talking to uh oh god why am i totally blanking on everyone's names right now well we'll go over the cast yeah 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 yeah, yeah, you'll get everything then don't worry billy critter russell hammond there we go (laughs) so this movie like i said wasn't a huge success at the box office but they talk about like how they felt like they did make something great they even knew it at the time it would end up getting nominated for a ton of awards and cameron crowe would win uh, best uh, writing at the Oscars, which is awesome. It was originally titled Untitled, mm-hmm. which we learned in... Yes, it's just because they didn't know the title, but also it was his fourth movie, and that was a kind of... What was it? Led Zeppelin's fourth, fourth album? Fourth album was named uh, Untitled. And, uh, you know, you and I spoke about this, but the fourth movie that anyone does, the fourth album that people do, it's like when you start to define yourself, when yeah. you start to kind of go in your own direction, or at least hopefully. Yeah, you know. bre- breaking the mold a little bit, or just like pushing certain boundaries, perhaps. Or in this case, he goes, and so, I mean, I think, you know, I think all of his films are personal, but he just had, in Jerry Maguire, a movie that just landed with the masses. And I think... I- I- so you know, we learned that uh, that Brad Pitt was up for the role of Russell Hammond that Billy Crudup eventually gets. I, there is a possibility out there that then almost famous could have been at Jerry Maguire heights because I think Jerry Maguire did what it did because you know what, like it's a Tom Cruise film. It's a Tom sure. Cruise film, and you've got like talk about. I mean. I used electrifying for Kate Hudson. I mean, Tom Cruise, you can... Screen presence. (laughs) Screen presence, electrifying. He truly is, like, I'm not, like, I'm not the biggest fan of his by any means, but he just has that, like, old-school Hollywood just, like, walking into a room and lighting it all up vibe. For sure. Yeah. 
the bands that he based uh, Stillwater, our band, in here on, and just like the whole story, were mainly the Allman Brothers band. Uh, Greg Allman distrusted him, Greg Allman, <laughs> and they talk about this in the Origins podcast. We see it happen here. Actually, like, like stole his tapes. Yeah, it starts for, getting paranoid. He's saying he's talking to his brother. Yes, his dead brother was telling him not to trust him. But also, Glenn Fry, the Eagles, was a big uh, inspiration for this because he toured with the Eagles. They have a cover with the Eagles. And one more thing I actually read that he was actually in a near fatal plane crash or close to one with The Who. So that's where that scene comes from. Ooh. So this is a, a lot of it's derived from real life and it's kind of amalgamated, if that's a word, into yeah. one cohesive and brilliant story. You've mentioned a bunch of the names already, but let's go over this phenomenal cast led by an unknown, and I think even he's kind of an unknown today, though I've seen him in things recently. I remember he was in Gone Girl. I was like, oh, that's the kid from Almost Famous. Yeah, he's in We Bought a Zoo, Cameron Crowe. Okay, okay. And that's Patrick Fugit, who was like as unknown as unknown gets. I think they had an open casting call for him. Yeah. Salt Lake City Tons guy. of kids. Yeah, he's from Salt Lake City. He was listening to Chumbawamba riding dirt bikes. <laughs> you know, just doing his thing in, what, probably like 1998 when they started searching for this. Yeah, and he was 16 when they shot this. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah, young. he's like 14 when they start like, you know, like looking for people and coming in and flying out to LA and auditioning and just the audition process is crazy. But yeah, that's your, that, that is your high schooler right there. I've seen criticisms of him online in this performance, but as we'll learn and we'll talk about it, he's on his first movie set. They shot this in order and Cameron Grove even has mentioned this, like He's burnt out by the end of it. Yeah. But so is the character, so to me it works. It works on so many levels. I mean, people just need to take a fucking chill pill if they're, like, getting on his, like... I th- Yeah, like... Yeah. I think it's just nitpicking. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned this guy, Billy Crudup. And so you'll, good. You, he's great, and you also mentioned, though, that he wasn't the first pick. This was supposed to, like, distinctly be a Brad Pitt film. Yeah. Brad Pitt walked down the aisle to this film, was reading for it for months, working with Cameron Crowe for months, and, you know, it's a couple people have different stories, whether it was money or he just didn't get a feel attached to the role, but he left it, and they were in, like, such a scramble, and that sent a lot of other people to kind of leave the casting process, because, like, oh, my God, if Brad Pitt's leaving, what do we do? But Billy Crudup stepped in and... It ends up working out better in my mind. I mean, I just can't picture it. Maybe because it's so good, but I can't picture it with Brad Pitt. It just works because it's an up-and-coming band. I mean, the movie you know is named Almost Famous. I don't know if that's supposed to be even telling us where they are, where they're going to be. But they're a band on the road paying their dues. You know, they, in the movie, they make it onto the cover of Rolling Stone. But it, it's just it, in that like you're saying as far as even uh, Patrick being tired and he's supposed to be tired in the movie so you're gonna get Billy Crudup who is like as far as on you know the silver screen unknown or slightly known that's great for the character yeah exactly that's great for the character of Russell because that's where he is and then same thing with Jason Lee and he was so uh insecure on set because he said he knew how to play guitar but he really didn't know how to play guitar and Peter Frampton who you know the great Peter Frampton was basically like a consultant on this film was teaching guitar every day just to get him up to speed and apparently he wasn't the he admitted it he wasn't the nicest guy on set because of insecurities but 
that works with the band. And, and, you know, we'll bring them up next. Jason Lee. They play off so well together. They have such great tension. And Jason Lee, this was one of his first films as well. You know, did a couple Kevin Smith films. But he's really a skateboarder here. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how he compared himself. He's like an ex-skateboarder suddenly on this Hollywood set. This is no offense to Jason Lee, but I don't know if he can, at this time, really compete with Brad Pitt and feel like equals in the band or people who are competing in this band, right? Like, it would really distinctly feel like Brad Pitt's band. I just think that they... It would have, were... been, it would have been a different movie with someone like Brad Pitt. We, we said this um, while we were talking Hoffman, and sorry if I keep saying that, guys, but we, could, we just talked it, that the cover and the poster is almost always either just Kate Hudson's face with the glasses or, like, a just something of Kate Hudson, you know? Yeah exclusively Kate Hudson. She became the symbol for this film, and that's who we're going to mention next. But if Brad Pitt's in this film, he's on this cover. We yeah. know that. Yeah. It's a different cover. It's a, it's, a, it's probably like them like leaning by one another or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like yeah. that, right? Um, so Kate Hudson, wow. I mean, Miss, Miss, Miss Penny Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Penny Lane brings this character to life. Penny Lane based on a very famous... I guess Band-Aid or Groupie, I don't know how we want to say it, but a uh, real person, she's actually interviewed in the Origins podcast as well, the real Penny Lane. But Kate Hudson, another person who was not first choice. Uh, by the way, did you catch this? I know we talked about it, but I'm going to test your memory. Do you get her real name? Did you remember? Oh, oh, Lady. Not, lady, yes. Lady, <laughs> when I'm with you, I'm smiling. So, which, which is, you know, really interesting, but Kate Hudson was originally cast as William's sister, but she would try to... She was all about being on this project. Yes. She denied um, other things, because she's, again, Hollywood royalty, as as we know, and she basically said, nope, this is going to be the project, and she just believed in it, and not even when she was the lead. Yeah. I think that's the one thing from, like, her interviews. If I was her, I would have admitted, like... Yeah, I know I had, like, a little bit of a comfort buffer of who my parents are and everything like that, you know? She kind of said it a little bit, but... Said a little bit. But not about, yeah, like... She wasn't the struggling artist that, like, obviously sometimes you just take a job to take a job. Yeah, she wasn't, yeah, it wasn't money. She she had the privilege of choosing whatever role she wanted, and she did it to her credit. Yeah, you know? And an actress named Sarah Pauly was originally cast, but she backed out because after Brad Pitt backed out and then she also apparently talked to her friends and it was like that was going to make her big in like the Canadian like indie filmmaking scene (laughs) yes apparently and she thought that the film would make her too mainstream she was right right like she's not mainstream now so maybe it would have happened maybe not and then Kate Hudson kind of a little you know I think she petitioned for the role like I could do that and they said sure and I can't again I can't see this movie without her doing her thing here she ends up being nominated for an Oscar wins the Golden Globe yeah an iconic performance. So, I mean, we're, we're going to run through it, but this cast just continues, right? Like, Frances McDormand, also nominated for an Oscar. One of the, you know, she's already a name here, but she's doing so many great things. This is like a huge, awesome run for her that's continued to today, so I can't yeah. even call it a run, right? Kind of crazy that they're both nominated for Best Supporting Actress and neither of them win. You yeah. Know? Like, one movie has two Best Supporting. Maybe they split the votes. Yeah. Maybe. Marsha Gay Harden would win for Pollock, which is a movie I like, but definitely it's like one not. One of the best fish movies out there. <laughs> yes, that's what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> but not a movie that has transcended generations like Almost Famous. No. That's for sure. 
she's great as William's mother. And, you, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit off air, too, like that she always looked like a mom to us. But at the time, she's not as old as we think. She's not even a mom in real life. She talks about it. And uh, you mentioned while watching Hoffman, you, you thought she was... Uh, to quote myself, I said, she can get it. <laughs> By her own choosing, obviously. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, no, I understand that. But as William's mom, this was based directly on Cameron Crowe's mom, but she wanted to do her own performance. Cameron Crowe talked about, or he, he talks about like a famous moment on set where, where his mom starts giving Francis McDormand his mom sounds like a very headstrong kind of woman in like in mostly positive ways very independent uh very intelligent educated but like you know when she wants to be heard she's gonna be heard and like even while he's a grown-up and says like mom like <laughs> don't bother Miss McDormand and he turns his back for a moment and she's talking to her and I love that Francis said to her like it's not going to be you it's not going to be me it's going to be somebody else and yeah like, perfect great great <laughs> we already mentioned Jason Lee as Jeff Beebe uh, let's see oh Zoe Deschanel who ends up like stepping up to be William's sister instead? Yeah. <laughs> yes, from New Girl and a bunch of other stuff. You know, I'm a big Zoe Deschanel fan. Uh, have we talked about her here yet? Oh yeah, from another film. The oh, new, what? the new guy. The yeah, new guy. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she's great in this. Such a great like early role for her. Like her clothes, the way she just. What does she say when, you know, when she comes in with a Simon and Garfunkel? Like, this music's poetry. There's that shot of her leaning down, talking to William. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, holding him by the face and, and then just leaving him all of her records and saying, light a candle, it'll change your life. And then it's just, it's she she's really great in this movie as kind of bookends, you know? It's a great, you know, she's mm-hmm. not in the movie except for the beginning and the end and yet she still has this great character arc and i just love I said it earlier this movie is about family so their their core their actual family of the, of the three of them i love everything between them i love how you know she says to him in the airport like oh, you know just you and me we can go wherever you want to go and then there's a lot of I think uh, you said when we were recording PSL of Hoffman that the editing was nominated as well. The editing in this movie is phenomenal. And some of the the hard cuts in this movie, like some of the reveals are just fantastic. And that and that's one of them. Just like in the airport, anywhere you want to go, boom, walking up to the house. Mom, yeah. co- mom comes out, just like touches her son's. Oh, you like almost like you, you, you brought him home, but it's like she, he, he brought her home. Just that whole, like, I forgive you. I didn't apologize for anything. Yeah, I didn't so say I'm good. sorry. So good. <laughs> um, and, and in terms of like the band-aids, they're played by some really cool actors, including Anna Paquin. Yeah. You know, Academy Award winner, I think. <laughs> I can never get that right, whether it was nominee or winner. But, you know... We, Definitely nominee, but I thought a winner. I thought she was like, she's like the second to like youngest. Something like, like that, right. Feruza Balk, who you mentioned before, from... A bunch of other stuff. Uh, I know you've covered her on The Water Boy, but uh, we're going to talk about her on The Craft. She's great as Sapphire. Kind of like, if Penny Lane's the leader of the Band-Aids, I feel like Sapphire is like 
the deputy leader. You yeah. Know? She seems like second in command. I never know how to pronounce this person's name, but it's like Bujou Phillips. Bujou Phillips. She's also one of the uh, Band-Aids, and she's great as well. I wanted to bring her up because her half-sister, Mackenzie Phillips, is in American Graffiti, a film we talked about mm-hmm. a lot. As like She's like the little girl in that, too, so some connection there. She's the Oscar winner in 1994. Crazy. Supporting in The Piano. That's never one of them. Oh, so huh. Sam Neill. Huh. Interesting. Harvey Keitel. Holly Hunter. <laughs> There's a lot of great cameo. I don't want to call them cameos. Like little parts from actors who would go on to do huge things, yeah. like Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel. Uh, Rain Wilson. Uh, Eric Stone Street from Modern Family. They all have like little. Mark Marin, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even Mitch Hedberg. Who would be on podcast uh, Mount Rushmore for sure. For sure. For sure. And uh, two other people I'm going to mention uh, Jimmy Fallon as Dennis Hope. Who's oh, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> I mean, probably the first film I ever saw Jimmy Fallon in. I'd seen him in SNL, but I don't even know if it's his first film or not officially. But I think so. Pretty early. Not his best, though. Taxi takes that. <laughs> Which is an adaptation of the sitcom. Oh, I thought it was a spinoff of Taxi Driver. No. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. That Jimmy Fallon, the talk show host Jimmy Fallon, is you know in this film. But of course, I saved the best for last. Philip Seymour Hoffman, our guy, as Lester Bangs, playing a real guy, playing a real rock critic of the era. And by the way, this Untitled DVD, I kind of want... I mean, we don't have the time. We're recording all night, and we're in your apartment. I don't want your girlfriend to get pissed. But on here, there's an interview with Lester Bangs that's like 30 minutes, so... <laughs> um. Yeah, he's just so fucking good in this movie. Some of the greatest lines, I think, in movie history. I mean, I love that even, you know, Cameron Crowe doing the handwriting, like, opening stuff. It says, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then, I mean, what? In the, I mean, not by, like, your very strict movie sense, we get, like, four or five scenes with him. We get the radio station, and then, again, not going strict, because then you'd be, like, out on the street, then the diner. And no, like, no, you know. yes. I, so it's like we have, like, that beginning stuff with, like, yeah, the radio station in William, and then I think we get three phone call conversations, and they're just all... Each one of them is amazing. He plays such a good... I don't know... Um, I mean, I know you you have... I've, I've voted before, like, you know, best, like, mentor and stuff like that. Oh, he's going to be nominated this year, that's for sure. Yeah, and he is just in, in that mentor... In, in any kind of movie, but, like, for coming of age, for a high school movie, he just takes this because it's not like a big brother so yeah it just is this because uh, at that point William is like he's like a you know he's he's a writer and some, some have said he, it's a father figure because William doesn't have a father in his life but I don't no. see it as that no it's definitely anything, not you, I mean, like I would say closer like a big brother or an uncle an uncle yeah that's another thing yeah but yeah just as far as I mean he he likes William's writing too so he gives he gives him that job right and to do a X amount of words on Black Sabbath, I think, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, who was playing with Stillwater. Yeah, Stillwater was opening for them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, I just have to... I took a screenshot of that one line that he says in his his last phone conversation where he just goes, the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. Awesome. And I remember, you know, okay, so I don't have it memorized, whatever, 
but I remember hearing that, and because that's that's a big part of what he's like. You know, he says, you know, the whole uncool. It's our it's our line for P.S. I love Hoffman. That's what most of us. I should even just say all of us, because even the kids that are popular are going through their own problems and their own insecurities. So just that that uh, confirmation of yeah, everyone's feeling uncool, or just like it, or whether it's everyone or just you, it's okay. It's just such a great moment of just saying, like, it's okay, and not that everything's gonna be alright, but it's okay, and you have this love, and then, what? I mean, what does he say after that? It's just like, my advice to you, I know you think those guys are your friends. You want to be a true friend to them? Be honest and unmerciful. And if you want to hear us wax more poetic on Philip Summer Hoffman, we have a whole podcast for it. But for sure, uh, just the the through line of him, you know, before we go talk about some scenes, we might as well, as you brought it up, talk about him. Just how they kind of just meet at the radio station there, and he gives William the assignment, and he's, the advice he's giving him there, like... You know, friendship is the booze they feed you. Things that we'll see later throughout, like you're the enemy, you know, remember that. Eventually in that thing, you know, as you said, be honest and unmerciful. Just Just these life lessons that William is going to find out before a lot of people his age, but then he's even finding out that much sooner by characters like this that are taking them under his wing. And you see that's every character in this movie is taking William under their wing one way or another. I mean, by all means, Russell is very manipulative. Yeah, for sure. And so it, is so so is Penny. Yeah, they're all trying to play William. I mean, so is his mom. They're all trying to play William. William's just, you know, like kind of just... So I, I would say Lester is the most honest. He really is. The rest of them are sirens. He is just like, he he's... He's the wind keeping the sail going, if this is the story of Odysseus. <laughs> yeah, getting to mythology tonight. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, I mean, the movie opens up with uh, both editions. just Cameron Crowe just, like, writing. Uh, it, it's actually Cameron Crowe's hand, and he's yeah. writing Almost Famous. I love this credit scene. So I wanted to mention that, like, I was pretty impressed that it was his hand. We see these, I, I talk about it because we see these like early school scenes, just him in the bathroom and the people have facial hair and he, this is played by the kid William, like, yeah, and he, it's like, it's so cool because he's just looking around and he's like, who, what the hell? What's you know? wrong with me? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Exactly. And I think we all feel that in high school, but especially He like thinks William. he's only a year younger, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, he chalks it up to that. In the extended edition... There's even, like, a shower scene where they ask him, like, how come you don't have pubes? And he's like, I shaved them, you know? (laughs) I'm assuming that's his freshman year because they still look like high schoolers around him, you know? Mm -hmm. And hopefully he's grown that amount to his senior year. And there's that great scene when Anita, his sister, is basically like, Mom, tell him in the car. And when he finds out, he's like, oh, my God. It's almost like finding out you're adopted or something like that. It's, like, earth-shattering. Crazy. But, I mean, most people now are like, oh, I'm three years younger? That's cool, I got some more time. But when you're a kid, it's so different. Oh, it would be, yeah, because when you're younger, time is just forever. We're at the end of, you know, summer, you know, season is just ending. I mean, growing up, summer was forever, even if you had, like, you know, 
whether it was a summer that you were doing oh, a lot. I wish or, it was still like that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous because everything becomes, you know, just like a little check mark or whatever. Like, oh, this weekend I'm going and doing this. <sighs> just for this and for William when he's younger, you just, like that, like the actor that plays the younger version he goes on and he's in um he's in other stuff oh really yeah i think he might actually be in like another high school movie someday his name is michael michael yeah angarano yeah i think he's in like lords of dogtown that might might be oh i know this guy he's in sky high he's in sky high yeah i like sky high Well, that's, that's fun, and then so I mean he never shares a scene with scene with Kate Hudson, but Sky High, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's in Sky High, so you'll definitely uh, you haven't covered that yet, right? Nope. I don't remember seeing anything about that. He plays a great young William and his freak out and learning, and then just trying to cope with it. And yeah, Zoe Deschanel is is a very good big sister sure she does leave to go off and live her own life but she does as best as she can with also like not haltering her life yeah and she goes off and becomes a flight attendant and that's when you said i mean that's when we said he introduces her to the music yeah. you know and he's playing those out i think it's tommy from the who and light a candle yes that is the one that he but yeah for yeah there's uh Joni Mitchell and there's pets, pet sounds Great. and there's Zeppelin and oh god just all that and those are all Cameron Crowe's actual vinyls oh wow and, that's cool and I think that uh, he made a mix CD of all those for like Patrick Fugit to listen to and awesome so I think Patrick said that he he didn't know that he thought Led Zeppelin was an individual not a band. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy to think about, but... For sure, for sure. And after the, you know, meeting with Lester at the radio station, which of course, you know, Iggy Pop. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Give me the guess who. They have the courage to be drunken buffoons. Oh, love it so much. We're not going to turn this into a Hoffman podcast, I promise. Uh, Lester gives him an assignment. That assignment gets picked up, and he gets, you know, a job at Rolling Stone. Yeah. Kind of in this process, right? Like, this is where we meet... You know, his, the first concert scene we see is where we meet. It's in his hometown, where we meet Penny Lane, where we meet the band. But I love when his mom drops him off because they have such an interesting relationship. She's she's so worried because she's raised him, and she thinks she's gonna be he's gonna be like her perfection, like that she's she's great, but like that she's almost discovered the secret to motherhood. It's yeah, like a little bit she of cool. The code. Yeah, keeping it away. She's a college professor, so she's a very intelligent person. And he's kind of doing all the things that other kids are doing, you know. And she's like, oh, my God. And she just yells out the car, like, don't do drugs. And everyone, <laughs> every, don't do drugs. And everyone makes fun of, like, the kids uh, around her. She like, has a little, little whistle so that, you know, for him to come back to the car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she plays such a great, lack of a better word, neurotic mom in this. Yeah. We have to just think, I mean, obviously we weren't alive uh, my parents were a little older than, well, I guess my parents were right around actually the age of what William is supposed to be, like a senior in high school. I think my mom graduated in like 72 or something like that. So yeah, right around that age. And with everything that was going on, everything that just happened between, you know, I mean, in the 60s with summer of love and then Woodstock happening in 69 and just kids were just really questioning authority at that point as someone as 
an intellectual that she is, she should almost have the understanding, the foresight to be like, I'm lucky that I have a kid that is as reserved as he is. Trust, I gave him the good guidelines out yeah. there. And I think ultimately that's why she lets him go. I think that's she has a fight with Anita when she leaves. She has a little bit of trust in William that he's going to do the right thing, but she's obviously, it, it falters. Like, it's, for, it's for a talent of his as well. Yeah, like, exactly. I think the academia in her respects that. She just thought it would be, what, she, she wanted him to be like the youngest lawyer in California. Yeah, she even said what she says, like, go to Europe, like... Yeah, but nope, like, this is what he... She's, like, appalled that he used his skill, his talent, this thing that she feels responsible for, and not in a mean way. Well, I mean, in the beginning, they're talking about... To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird, exactly. One of the great American novels, and... Which, at that point, wasn't that old i mean what came out in the mid 50s so probably like yeah when you think about 10 years old yeah because the movie takes place starts in like the late 60s yeah so but point being it's just yeah like she would think that he would end up being some great literary of some kind yeah something along those lines right not become involved in rock music which she thinks (laughs) is polluting the youth you know and not in a puritanical way like (laughs) no it's not it's kind of funny because i mean like you i think you said it on this podcast but just uh is anita holding up the simon and garfunkel so it's not it's not like she's even going after black sabbath yeah <laughs> which now you listen to black sabbath and you hear the crazy train yeah and you're like that's the devil's music okay <laughs> so like crazy. whatever you know like but you, you think paul simon and you know, bridge over troubled water like that. That's that, that's destroying the youth. Okay, you, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. In context, it's like, oh, I wonder if this lady heard like gangster rap or like yeah. you know, real hardcore punk or something. You know. Yeah, exactly. Not not honestly, like not long after when this movie takes place, the Sex Pistols. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, in these early concert scenes, though, when he's just it's so great like for the meet cute between uh i don't it's not really a meet cute because they already know each other but how he's introducing penny lane to russell and he's like oh just that excitement this is penny lane and the beginning he's like oh my god like they seem like they're like oh wait they know each other like the look on his face so good these are just two amazing individuals that he you know like i mean he knew of russell already yeah and he just met penny lane who is so magnetic and just oozing of life and it's just like oh my god like this person and that person and they're gonna meet now and it's gonna be amazing it's like oh you know that's that's what it is when you're young and you're just digesting all this new stuff yeah and it's almost mirrored in the actors as well uh they all kind of admitted that there was it wasn't a heavy love triangle but like feelings were exchanged patrick fugit started to develop a crush on uh, Kate Hudson. Kate yeah. Hudson started to develop a crush on Billy Crudup, and gonna and so happen. On. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes sense. Just, I mean, where they all are in their actual lives, where they're supposed to be in the movie, it's just another example of just how it just blends together. 
Absolutely, and and if you were 16 and you make, met Kate Hudson on set and she just has this like confidence and energy and she's kind of like showing you the ropes even though she's only a couple years older than you, you wouldn't fall in love with her? I <laughs> used to so easily fall, in, in, you know, and obviously anyone can contest, oh, was that love? Well, to, you know, when you're young, it just it just is, especially before you're ever a, like really been in love. But point being, I used to so easily fall in love with women, just like just get <laughs> getting wrapped around their finger and just oh god. And that's exactly I watch this movie and it's and it makes me. It's a very self reflective. <laughs> So yeah, totally get it, and we're really seeing it on here, and this kind of begins this never-ending quest of, because it's right after this where he gets the assignment, but it begins this never-ending quest of trying to get this story to Rolling Stone. The ultimate homework assignment. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> and he really thinks he's going to get it like on the next town and the next town, and it becomes a road trip film, essentially, going town to town just to get And just story. a running gag, too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Like, And he's missing school, his mom, you know, Later on in the films, like, you know, what did she say? Like, rock musicians have stolen my son, something along those lines. <laughs> One of those lines that's used excellent in, like, the trailers. Yes, so good. It's so good. This um, is a movie that, um, as far as the trailer goes, it, it didn't, you know, I, I remember seeing the trailer before ever seeing the movie, and it didn't disappoint. Yes. Know? You know, it just, it took great moments, and it told you it, it just pushed you and taught you like this is what this movie's gonna be and it was it was pretty face value and i appreciate it for that in a world where i just watched too many trailers and then they're just not just not a movie there <laughs> very true honestly we could start a whole podcast on almost famous and probably and talk about this till kingdom come so i want to kind of focus on some of the william stuff and things that remind me of stuff that happens in other high school films and you know while he's on the road he's even though he's not in high school he's still getting somewhat of an education right on tour he, you know he's making new friends whether well, it's the band-aids or like jay baruchel yeah. briefly red dog <laughs> he's finally a little you know he's finally kind of cool also, his mom keeps trying to check up on him, and mm-hmm. she, she's having great conversations with her with Sapphire, or eventually the conversation she has with Russell. And yeah. really quickly, I know we mentioned it on Hoffman, but uh, you told this story from Origins, which was how Billy Crudup and Frances McDormand had just done Oedipus on stage, <laughs> and originally, apparently, the calls were very sexual. Yeah. <laughs> the camera was like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just amazing to think about, but yeah, the fact that she's keep uh, checking in on him. What is she saying? Like, sometimes uh, in one of the scenes, I think it's a, a Sapphire. She's like, "I know what's going on. Tell William, yeah, I know, I know what's, what's going, going on." Yeah, that's like, this... she runs after the bus and yes. runs into the wall. Yeah, so you've got his mom. You've got Ben. Uh, ben Fong Torres. Yeah, Ben Fong Torres of Rolling Stone is like the teacher. That's just like remember this assignment is due at this point. And then you have his friends that are just like, ah, oh, let's like, you know, skip school right now and go yeah. hang out at the beach. Like, Essentially. That's, like, that's, that's what, yeah. And he's, you know, he's slowly getting his heart broken, but he's still hopeful, like, with the Penny situation, right? Like, he doesn't press it ever, but just 
there's the ice machine scene and there. Right. But that is very high school, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that is that is like the 100%. guy that's just like I'm the like in kind of that role of like I'm the friend and I'm gonna be here and she'll end up being with me instead because. And it's not healthy, but we can't say it doesn't happen. It happens. Yeah, at least yeah, at least in movies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but there's also like when he's trying to get the article and he knocks on Russell's door and he's yeah. like, I'm in too truthful a mood. And Penny just opens the door and even like the look on his face there, like. Oh, such a sad puppy. So many sad puppy dog faces in this movie. Oh my god, for sure. He's good at this. Patrick Fugit is good at the, the sad uh, puppy dog face. So one of the first moments where I'm like, oh, I love this in terms of like talking high school movies is when they're riding on the bus, they're discussing like, you know, when to get this interview, whatever. And we just see Penny looking out the bus, almost like a school bus, right? <laughs> and and the, or the guys are like high school girls, yeah. and she just is waving, and they're waving back, and she just turns her hand it's and flips nice them off. It's a nice slow <laughs> flip of the bird. And it's so amazing because like that could be her. She could be a high schooler. She's like yeah. of that age. We don't really know Penny's age. They kind of have like a little back and forth here. It's somewhere between, like, it's probably around eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. And she just she took that leap. She you know flew uh, away from the nest. Yeah, much earlier than William. She's an expert by now. That's why she's like... Yeah, she's retiring, as she keeps <laughs> saying. She's giving him the rules of being a Band-Aid, which, again, much different than being a groupie, as William calls them groupies. Band-Aids support the band. That's what she says. Yeah. Some people say it might be a little hypocritical, but <laughs> it is what it is. That was one moment that really stuck out at me. The bus is so great. Like, just later in the film when we get our tiny dancer scene when they're all singing. Yeah, bus culture. Hey, buses are a big part of high school. It's true. So there is that, like, vibe. I remember uh, when we were watching it for P.S. I Still Love Hoffman. I forget exactly. You were saying something about, like, tiny dancer and it being a little too... You didn't say on the nose, but just that, you know, singing it all together like a big group. You you said something about that. Yeah. uh, No, I mean, I don't know. I said, uh, for me, like singing it now, it's on the nose. Yeah, on the nose, like a little Hallmarky kind of. Yeah, hokey. Hokeyness. But no, but it reminds me of just like me being the emphatic Queen fan that I am. And like once, I, I think the first time I did it was on the, on a bus when I was on a band trip. Uh, sophomore year of high school and we went down to Orlando actually uh, for a band competition and I got everyone to sing Bohemian Rhapsody Ooh, and every nice. time I was on a bus I tried to replicate that. <laughs> that is so you, that's why I laughed. <laughs> and I did one time and we were dry, and we were, uh, and it was when we were going to the Intrepid junior year, Mr. Morehouse's history class and we were on the West Side Highway and I was like, come on, Brian, you're like, no, no not yet. Like, <laughs> you're just very like, no, like, just don't try to force it. <laughs> I, I remember Mr. Morehouse started singing, uh, won't you guess my name? Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. What is that song the called? Rolling Stones. Uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Sympathy for the Devil, yeah. Yeah, yeah good call. I do remember that as well. <laughs> Um, I have that on video somewhere. Wow. Mini DV tape? Yes. Wow. (laughs) No, but again, I don't hate this scene. I love this scene, this tiny dancer scene. It's just, I don't, like right now, if someone started singing on on a bus, I'd be like, come on, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's been done. (laughs) The scene I really wanted to get to, though, which, again... Graduation? No, we'll Uh, definitely get there. Wow, you're trying to close us soon. No, No. oh, I just thought, I don't know. We'll get there, we'll get there. 
It's it's the house party scene. Though. Oh yeah, duh. Yeah. This is so high school. And I just me. I was that wasn't on my mind even though we just watched it because I never experienced a high school. But this party scene is amazing. It's you know they're having kind of I don't know a little bit of a tough time. Does this happen? No, I think the t-shirt is. Is it before this? T-shirt was before this. Yeah, so like we're starting to get tension in the band. So the t-shirt scene is one of my favorite scenes. The manager pulls out the t-shirt. It's just Russell in the front. And, you know, everyone's pissed. Jeff Beebe is one of the most... Of the Jeff Beebe band. Yeah, Jeff Beebe of the Jeff Beebe band. He's so pissed off. And we're starting to get tension. And you could tell Russell's like, what does he say? He's like, I want to see what the real people are like. You know, almost kind of... I don't think he's... I don't know how serious he is, but they go to this party. This, just a regular high school party. William and Russell. And, oh my God. Like, it's such a 70s... Party. It's almost like dazed and confused. Oh yeah, very much like that. And it's just it's too. I mean, there's definitely Russell just eats his own bullshit for yes. breakfast, exactly. lunch, and dinner. He doesn't go there to experience the people. He goes there to be worshipped. Yes, but at the same time, he goes there, and then I feel when he starts going like, "Wait, that lamp is in my." There's a bit of homesickness. Mm, that's a good call. That's a there good call. is a home like there, it's like the, a nostalgia for the yeah, youth he left behind. Exactly, yeah, because as Billy Crudup said in the uh, origins, what he thinks as far as Russell, like it was just. It was just all this was just thrown upon him. He was just like you know. He just imagines he's like when he's when Russell is fourteen years old. He loves playing guitar. He's pretty damn good at it. And then everything from there is just like, boom, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah, that's what this this party scene. Yes, one hundred percent. When he's like, and this this bull, you know this is bullshit. Flicking the lights on and off or whatever. <laughs> and I love. Oh my god, I guess I get uh, such a good like chuckle every time when the weird kid is just like want to see me you know feed like a mouse to my snake yeah, he's like yes right yes <laughs> like it's just such a gen yes like that to him russell right then is just like he, he he definitely does seem to live in the moment for sure for sure and that's so. before he starts taking a lot of acid yes there's and he is a golden guy the beer yeah <laughs> the beer is spiked with acid and things go really haywire at yeah. this party but even before that he's like just sitting with these kids who i would probably say are like kind of like nerds you know they're not the most popular kids and he's just talking to them and they're like wow you know he, this is where he's in again i think this part of him is enjoying being worshipped here while he's still basking in the nostalgia as well he points at william like from afar and William looks and it's almost validating to William too because this is probably the first time A he's been at a party like this and he, he's realizing he's cool you know yeah. he's, he's like low man on a totem pole when he's touring with the band but when he goes back to like the real world almost he's a pretty cool dude definitely if he was in San Diego at that point he would not be at a party like that no no you know what it reminded me of? This is college related. You know when you go to college and you make friends with people who probably wouldn't have been your friend in high school and you date girls who probably wouldn't have dated you in high school, you know? This yeah. Is, this is almost like a new beginning for him, which is great. Well, because during high school, you're just, everyone's just changing so much. But if you've known someone even like from obviously middle school age or even from freshman year, but by the time you're senior, you're just a different kind of person, but people just hold on to like certain yeah. memories and just certain, uh, you know, un- very, you know, it's just, people are just unfair in high school 
And yeah, so that's, I mean, college is a great time to, you know, people say like, oh, to reinvent yourself. But I think, no, it's just like you get to continue being yourself and continue growing and learning about yourself. So it's not reinventing. It's just like a just clean slate for everybody else, not yeah. for you. It's more yeah. for people who to discover, hopefully discover the person you actually are. Yes, exactly. Yeah, not self-discovery. Other dis- yeah, other which is, discovery. again, which is kind <laughs> of happening to William here, more or less. Maybe not at this party, but in other scenes, hopefully, as he's... And he is also younger than he's supposed to be, too. Very so. true, very true. But let's talk about the climax of this party, which, you know, you alluded to it. The Golden God scene. Ugh. Russell's on the roof. Drink from that red solo cup. Took the red solo cup. <laughs> I like. Uh, I guess he calls Dick the manager. Sorry, pronouns. I guess w- William calls Dick the manager, and he's like, "Dick, uh, yeah, he took acid." He's like, "Did it hit? Yeah." He's like, "How do you know?" Oh, the, oh yes, that's that was the other just cut the hard cut that when we were watching, we were like, "Oh, so good, so so." <laughs> and he's good. on top of the house, and what a shot! Like where you see the blue of the pool. Mm-hmm. And he's up there. He's yeah, like, it's a little. The lights God. are in the pool. All the kids are just surrounded, and just like I'm on drugs. Like you get Russell. Yeah. Think about your last words. And they cheer. Just like, I dig music. Yeah. I dig music. And they're like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm on drugs. And it looks like he's not going to jump in the pool. And when he jumps in, it's like, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. You know. So good. So good. If I'm going to talk about like coolest high school party scenes, you don't think about this one, but this is really up there with just like cool high school parties. Where are they at that point? Topeka. Yeah. I think it's Topeka. Yeah. And so it's, that's. Oh, Kansas. Oh. Kansas. Yeah. So it's just like, you have to imagine, I mean, I know definitely, obviously, at every point in, in, in history, there are bullies and there's cliques in high schools and all that kind of stuff. But I just imagine in that area at that time, like when someone had a party, like everyone was, for the most part, invited, you know? Yeah. I mean, And also, it was. It seems like it's kind of an after party for, you know, they were just at the concert, the concert yeah. and everything like that. So they're all fans, or at least a lot of them there are fans of Russell, so it's not like, he's not a random person, he's like, oh, he is the golden god to them. Yeah. And he's pontificating like one. And <laughs> he just, he's also acting like a kid here, and it goes to your point in terms of, like, he's remembering his childhood. And, yeah. And then when he wakes up and he wants to stay with them, and Dick is convincing him to come home. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> but then we'll leave all those mean people behind, we'll come back yeah. here, and you can live with them. They're like, oh, you can live in the basement. <laughs> So good, so good. So yeah, like, more and more I'm convinced this is definitely a high school movie, and this is, you know, that's part of the reason. It just has a lot of the staples of what makes a high school movie a high school movie, and what makes a good high, a, a high school movie a good high school Coming movie. of age, right? Like, rite of passage. We're all seeing it here. It's just a different setting. Yeah. Coded in a lot of music and a lot of great, great, like, you know, shots of music, too. It's one of the great, great films in terms of how concerts look in this movie. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm eternally grateful to this movie, and there's very few points in my life that I think that I was born in the right time. I would have rather been from this era, but this this movie coming out when it did and the age that I was is one of the few things I'm like, oh man, that was kind of special. Yeah, we were the perfect age for this film, yeah. really. And I think maybe that's a big reason why this film is getting a lot more love now than it did at the time, because we're finally the age of people who have podcasts and are, you know, 
I, I, I don't want to say power, because if you look at who's in like government power, it's certainly <laughs> not our age, but you know, who at least pop culture and social media more power. More influence, yeah. Yeah, more influence. So it's, you know, it means more to us. It means a lot to us, this movie. It means a lot to me. I know that. I know it means a lot to you um, and probably a lot of listeners out there today. It means a lot to them as well. In terms of like things I want to focus on this podcast and high school scenes, the next one I want to jump to is, you know, as William is trying to get this story, there's something that we see in a lot of high school films, including one that you've been on with this podcast that I mentioned before. This isn't what I have to ask you about this film, but American Pie, but that's losing one's virginity, which is a true story, by the way, listeners out there. Cameron Crowe did lose his virginity that way. It's a little bit of a weird scene, not going to lie, but... Yeah, definitely uncomfortable in movie night with my parents. (laughs) Yes. William loses his virginity to three of the Band-Aids. Um, they just kind of come in and like... What a way to lose it. What do they say? Like, Opie must die? Yeah. <laughs> Opie, a reference to the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Ron Howard's character. Pure innocence, you know? Yeah. Like, let's take away his innocence. <laughs> he really is, like, wants to... I don't think he's like, I want to bang Penny. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, he definitely, like, envisioned some romance with Penny. It's not happening. Because, like, right in the scene that precedes it, she just walks into the bathroom to talk to him and she starts, like, sitting on the toilet and peeing. It's unglamorous, but it's real. But that's the moment he's like, you know, he keeps getting reminded, like, she just sees me as a friend. And then this happens. And she kind of walks away. She doesn't walk away disgusted, she walks away. You're like, bye, have fun. Wave goodbye, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And he's, uh, yeah. It's awkward, it's weird, it's deep, but he's (laughs) deflowered. Boy. So how did you, I'm just joking. (laughs) I was late. I'll say that much. But now that now that it's been a month, how do you feel? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it was late. I was getting to a point where then I was like, oh, I should, I should, maybe you should be with someone special. And uh, it sucks that I don't remember her name. I wasn't actually asking, but I'm glad you shared. <laughs> there you go. It was on the road. It was a it was a band aid, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was on the road with Aerosmith. Yes, Liv Tyler. <laughs> we're both big Armageddon fans um, <laughs> yeah I just want to mention quickly the scene after this when he's I guess he's in bed he wakes up and Ben Fong Torres calls like for, and he's like get it together man we already have a Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> it's hilarious oh, even before I love when Ben Fong when uh, so it's oh god Feruza Balk right? yeah Feruza Balk yeah. Saf- Sapphire which is like yeah and Sapphire's just like hello and he's like hello <laughs> This is so good. <laughs> so good. Oh, it's great. Uh, that actor, I want—I mentioned his name often, but I want to bring up his name here because he's really good as well. Yeah, he plays exactly like... Terry when, Chen. Yeah, when William finally goes into the office, what is, what is he... Uh, we just watched it, but what does he say? He's just like... He's like, oh, baby. Something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, oh, ba- Like, it's just like, you're in for it. Because like, then, yeah, supposedly, he was much more Cameron Crowe's... Mentor, mentor, yeah. And Buster Bangs was more like, not that he wasn't a mentor, but he was truth bombs, you know? Yeah. Like, just like big knowledge. Just like, no, do this, do that. So as we move along in the plot, he's trying to get the story, but Penny Lane, who's just his inspiration, eventually gets traded away for... 50 bucks and a case of Heineken. Yep. Which again, 50 bucks at that time is still a lot of money too. And Heineken's a fancy import beer. Very fancy import beer. It's still not nice to be traded like a commodity. 
but it's no. not 50 bucks in Heineken's today either. <laughs> but still, the reason is because uh, Russell's girlfriend's coming to New York. And these New York scenes I really love, not just because I love New York filming, filmmaking, but they're just, a lot happens here, right? Penny ends up showing up anyway, and... Oh, God, she's just her, kind of her own worst enemy. Yeah, and Russell's girlfriend... She knows. It's no secret. She says it early in the film. I know he's got a girlfriend, like, this is the road. It's not, you know, it's nothing serious. I'm retiring. All of that stuff. But it's just all lies to herself because she's she's in love with him. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, when Russell's girlfriend kind of calls her out and she's taken away, it's a really embarrassing incident. Leslie, right? Leslie, yeah. But I bring it up because what we get after this when William just whether it's romance or care for her as a friend. Well, I'll ask you that question. Do you think he's so concerned because he's still in love with her? He kind of says at the hotel, but do you think at this point... Do you think it's all romantic? Do you think they have this friendship bond? Like, what... I think, first and foremost, he's a good person. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. He I definitely th- is. I think, and I think he's ultimately, like, his mom did raise him well, and he does have... He, do, he is a kid, and he's saying that he loves the character of Atticus Finch. And so he, as far as his morals and his ethics, he is he is good, because he really doesn't break them in this movie, by any means. No, you're right. We don't see him, like, doing, you know, lines or something. Yeah, or he doesn't, like... he doesn't, he doesn't totally jump off the cliff. It's like he's, like, bungee jumping, you know? It's just like, it's going yeah. down. It's kind he's of getting there. a taste yeah. of it, but he's actually, like, listening to a lot of what Lester says, too. That's it's great that he has mom. those phone calls along the way. Mm-hmm. It brings him back to reality a little bit, and then he finally, yeah, you know, he doesn't have that like final moment, but it's just all those things building up together. And then, I mean, well, I guess, I mean, yeah, the band like saying that like none of it's real, like that, yeah. that, that, that final betrayal. There's a couple, of, yeah, a couple of moments, um, but basically he chases Penny down. Uh, yeah. Meets her at the plaza. She's drunk and she's taken quaaludes. She's not in. She's not in good shape. And I bring it up too because it's juxtaposed with William's mother at his graduation. You know, receiving his diploma because he can't make it. Great graduation band, by the way, on stage. Just like oh yeah, long hair, just like (laughs) little little jam sesh. And this is his high school graduation. And what is he doing? You know, he's helping, he's saving... Trying to keep a friend alive. Yeah. And I don't think he, I think he, there's no other place he'd rather be, you know? His mother is, like, devastated, you could tell, but... Oh, her reaction when, like, they say, you know, and, uh, William Miller, and she just goes, like... Yeah. You know, just like that, like, (laughs) looking around, like, people, even though he's not here, clap, clap, clap. because, like, no one's really clapping because he's not there. Yeah. Nope, we're gonna clap. It's a very important accomplishment. And it is an important accomplishment to graduate. It should be celebrated, but he's he's almost having a different kind of graduation. You yeah. Know? And I love how it's mentioned that the none of the Band-Aids were there. They all went to do their own separate things, and she would have literally probably died if it wasn't for him. It does get weird. He does kiss her. It's a little uncomfortable. It's but... a little uncomfortable, but, you know, when I'm... I mean, I, I said it when we were watching it, but I'm just trying to get a bit more in his mindset. And knowing that he is a good person, but just then thinking how young he is and how in, how inexperienced he is. And so it's just this moment of, I don't know. 
Well, he's professing his love to her, you know, and it's like one of the only times he can do that. He feels confident enough to do it, unfortunately. But after that, you know, when she wakes up, she's grateful, and I think the movie would have fucked up if, like, he ended up with Penny, you know? Yeah, that's just not where they're supposed to be. Maybe someday, but that's not where they're supposed to be in their lives right now. No, no. I mean, this movie has just, it's one of the best endings. After this scene, it's that great Central Park scene where they're just, you know, talking it out like friends, and and it's great, and they're talking about, like, what they're going to do, and it's kind of the end of Penny. She gets a little bit of redemption, but it's, like, the last time we see her on the road, and uh, I wanted to bring it up quickly. (laughs) We talked about it on Hoffman, but I feel like I need to share it here, that New York was the last days of shooting for a lot of the cast, and uh, Billy Crudup and Jason Lee invited Kate Hudson out for a party. Dis- so good. <laughs> Despite the fact that they were shooting early in the morning. So obviously she's very hungover in this scene. Yeah. But she also literally, she did not sleep. She went straight to set in her same clothes. Was it this scene that also he told Patrick, like, these people aren't your friends? Like, that you're not going to see really any of these people after this movie. I think it was that scene, but did Patrick cry in that scene? I think ended up, maybe they just ended up, because they just used a wide shot. I think that they just didn't because get that option. Because while we were watching this um, unrated version, not unrated. Bootleg. Oh, yes, sorry. sorry, we were watching this bootleg version. Um, there's a scene that he's distinctly crying, so it might have been there, too, um, that he yeah, told them. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was that one, yeah, because they were saying how he just started crying or yeah, so Cameron Crowe, he got this advice, and it's not, if you listen to Cameron Crowe speak, this is not a very Cameron Crowe thing to do, but someone gave him advice that, like, to really get emotion out of your actor, especially when he's fading, as we, and as we said, Patrick Fugit, as I think he even admitted there, like, he was fading, because it was a long, yeah, a long shoot for him when the first movie, and he told him, like, he was just nasty with him, kind of, like, you know, you're never going to see these people again. He's got that raw... Yeah. Rawness. <laughs> and he felt bad, Cameron Crowe. <laughs> yeah. No, but the, as the story goes with Kate Hudson for this Central Park scene, she just showed up on set with the clothes she was wearing, and like I guess like the uh, someone said like a set set person, you know, probably the makeup, makeup, right? Hair and makeup, yeah. Hair and makeup was like, oh my god, don't let Cameron see you, and they tried to do her up, but Cameron ends up seeing her. What did he say? Rock and roll. Oh, rock and roll. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> but, you know, good. It worked so well for the scene because she, you know. Look, Kate Hudson can't really look like shit, let's be honest. But for Kate Hudson, she looks like shit. And yeah, she's she, supposed to have just survived a, you know, yeah, an overdose. An overdose. She got her stomach pumped. Yeah. To, what song is it? My Sherry. Okay, yeah. Your, your boy, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> so good. Love the juxtaposition. Yeah, so great. And oh, that scene's so good, and it's so nice, and it's just, like, so sweet, and it really resets things. So, really quickly... The, the rest of the way this film goes is pretty amazing as well. Because Jim, once Jimmy Fallon's on board, mm-hmm. he, he gets them this plane, and eventually we get to this great... Uh, it's not a plane crash scene because they end up surviving, but... Turbulence. Yeah, it's, it's a little more than turbulence, I think. What do we say? We'll just call it the almost plane crash scene, if this is almost famous, whatever. <laughs> Where they're all just admitting their truths to each other. And yeah. I think it starts with Jimmy Fallon saying he killed the guy. <laughs> Not a murder, but like he hit ran. and run. Yeah, hit I didn't and run. stop to look. I don't know if he's alive. <laughs> just insane stuff. I don't mean to laugh at the but yeah, it's, it's played just, up for comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you got Jimmy Fallon. You got a ridiculous story. It plays out really well. I think it's um, 
Russell's like, oh, you know, love you guys. It's like bullshit, you know, yeah. Jason Lee. And he's like, by the way, I slept with uh, Leslie. Leslie. And yeah. like, it's, well, you're on a break or something along those lines. And Shut the fuck up, Jeffrey. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> or the manager, everyone slept with his ex-wife. Yeah. You know? And then finally, William just goes like, none of you, this is all bullshit. Yeah. And just like, the person that loved you the most, loved the music the most, none of you were there first, and she almost died last yeah. night. And I love her. <laughs> and it's just, ugh. And between, you know, that ending and Tupelo, we, I think we said it on often, like, that could have been an ending, you know, I'm glad it wasn't. But between that, just coming off that plane, between the Hoffman speech, which we already talked about, mm. of just like, you know, you're not going to fit in, get the story, be honest and unmerciful. Between, you know, him ended up going to San Francisco and them seeing him as a kid. There's a lot of these, it's weird because it's not, like you said, this big ending, but it's a lot of these little things building to an awesome ending in my mind. And you already mentioned, right, Zoe Deschanel when she sees him in the airport and they fly home. Yeah, yeah. Which is so good. The look on Francis McDermott's face when the two of them are there. And she's like, oh my God, I, I didn't think I'd see my kids again and I got both my both kids back. Both of them are back under my <laughs> roof. Like, that just means so... That means this is the world to her. It's so awkward with, like... Uh, Anita is her name. Anita Zoe Deschanel's character. And yeah. she's like, because that's not where she wanted to be. It's the last place she thought William would pick. It's just amazing. Yeah, and then the story gets denied. That's when I got so excited because Jeff Beebe's wearing his Jeff Beebe band shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they, deny, sorry, they deny the story to Rolling Stone, I should say. And it looks like everything's going to be ruined. But, you know, William... For me, that's when he becomes a high schooler again. That's when he becomes a kid again. Because he goes home and he's just like oh. sleeps. Like we've all had that. Experience, would have been right? would have been talk about on the nose, but Beach Boys in my room. <laughs> yeah, but that is like but it still fits. That is you know, there's a couple of uh, Beach Boy songs. Be true to your school, being the most like high school kind of yeah. one. But like in my room definitely like you know it's like yeah once you start getting middle school especially high school it's like yeah i'm gonna make this my own yeah and so just to be back and you know on the road and writing notes in a bathtub and just like sharing rooms with people and just he gets to be back in his bed and surrounded by everything you know he loves his music like his idols are around him but he's not seeing them (laughs) you know like being the monsters that they are. No, uh, again, and we all had that feeling, right, where you just go back to bed and pass out and just yeah. feel so good after being on the road like that. Like, it's so good. And I guess Russell feels bad about Penny, so he ends up calling her, and she's like, you know, this is where I live. Come to my house. And mm-hmm. Russell's essentially, I don't want to say tricked, but he's essentially, yeah. He he's thinks he's duped. Yep, he thinks he's going to see Penny. <laughs> and he ends up seeing uh, William, and they have a great little... Meeting William's mom. Meeting William's mom. Anita. <laughs> and yeah, he's already had the phone conversation with her, and that's like when it all clicks. And yeah. We discover this kind of on this watch here that when he gets into the room. Yeah, I started asking, do you think he would have like reversed and said to Rolling Stone, like, you know, or apologized even to William? Yeah, like if Penny didn't convince him to go there, would this have the same ending? Yeah. But he, once he gets in the room, he says, I already called Rolling Stone and verified the entire story. Yeah. So it's like, oh, so that kind of solves that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he interviews him. The, he finally, gets, even if he's not going to use that part because he already submitted the story, he finally gets the interview he wanted. So as I 
quickly breeze through all this because I said we can't talk all night about Almost Famous because we'd be here forever. <laughs> what What were your thoughts on basically how this movie wraps up and, yeah, just overall anything else you want to mention from the film? I mean, yeah, just the way it wraps up. It's brilliant. It kind of starts going into a montage. I forget what, uh, I think it's Tangerine by um, by Zeppelin starts playing and it shows, you know, the band is doing okay they've got the what was it no more planes tour yes no more airplanes tour and so the almost famous tour now we have a nice little moment of russell and jeff you know be hugging and i think russell even kisses jeff on the on the cheek obviously the article is published they're on the cover of rolling stone william you know the people that weren't too kind to him at rolling stone or <laughs> put in their place as far as and they're reasonably so he walks into that office and they're just like what is this with your <laughs> child and so yeah there's just uh it would have been it would have been nice to maybe get one more little thing with like philip Seymour hoffman like maybe him just holding up the holding up a co- like pa- passing a newsstand and picking up a copy of uh Rolling Stone magazine to read it or something, but then I mean Kate Hudson, we get the one ticket to Morocco, one one way to Morocco, and just even the sunglasses and just the arm reaching back in and just so perfect. And then the bus, it's the it's a western in the end. The bus rides off into the sunset. Yeah, it's nice. And well, if William is Cameron Crowe, then we know that he's going to go on to keep doing this, right? Yeah. But if we if we don't know that, like as a kid, I didn't know it was Cam and Crow or his story. I was just watching a movie, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. necessarily think that's what William's gonna do. And I feel like his possibilities are endless right now, you know? He could do whatever he wants. Yeah, I mean he has graduated high school, so like now it's like keep writing for Rolling Stone and but just then like experience, you know, have some adventures but let them be your own adventures versus kinda like you know, by being a writer and like hopping in, the, the the adventure he had in this movie, it was someone else's adventure already. He needs to do his own. He needs his Morocco. Yeah, and maybe you know, for Cameron Crowe, maybe that's transitioning to filmmaking. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to really articulate what makes this movie so great, but it just it feels so timeless. If you want to talk about things that like, you know, the other thing that maybe didn't age as well, I guess it's the plane crash, the guy going like, I'm gay. It's more that it doesn't play well because it's played for laughs, but yeah, it is still a big omission at the time, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a movie. You said it. It's like a coming of age movie that I would definitely show my kids when they were ready. I don't have kids, but theoretically, if if I did, <laughs> it's it's such a you know iconic film, a great film, and it's something I'm I'm happy to open our junior year with because you know juniors, you're almost coming of age even more like you gotta start looking at colleges yeah yeah i mean it's it's gotta a start studying for the sats or maybe looking at bands to follow on the road who knows yeah do that that's way better guys. <laughs> so and any anything else you want to mention from almost famous um i mean I, I i feel like yeah like you said we could continue to talk about it red dog <laughs> exactly <laughs> No, I mean, things I, I love about it, we definitely discuss the amazing music, the way that they show the musicians, the tour, the culture that comes with it. This movie is filled with culture and of a very specific time, of a specific group of people. And yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, Lester Bangs is just fantastic. 
this movie wouldn't have existed, obviously, without Cameron Crowe living this life, but it is also a movie that's like, so it's really cool to find out that, oh, it's semi-autobiographical, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it doesn't feel like, you know, you know that, I mean, that's the problem with the movie when you do start thinking about a lot of music movies, you start thinking about like those, like, biopics and then those get problematic because they have such a formula to them so this is great because it's a great movie about music but it's got that coming of age it has some great high school elements to them yeah like i watch walk the line and i love walk the line but i watch walk the line because that's johnny cash yeah it's so much better that he didn't say let me make the story of my life he's like let me take a lot of the things that happen in my life and make a great movie out of it which i I think is why it excels yeah for sure all right we got to give some awards that's what we do here on high school slumber party first award the wooderson award so a character who you would have liked to see more of maybe someone who was in a scene for a little bit where you're like expand on that character i want to learn more side note we didn't really address the two other guys in the band the drummer the one who says i'm gay is silent until that moment and the bassist is kind of just like drugged up yeah drugged up (laughs) in there (laughs) I would say, mm, I kind of want more Jay Baruchel. He was I, an interesting little character, and I, honestly, like we, you and I, we're not going to mention it here, but we've talked about movies where we wanted less of him, so it's interesting yeah. that you want more of him here. I kind of want more of him in the sense of, I would like to see William with hanging and having a bit more conversations with people his own age. So you could even say that's a good that call. Me, like it would be kind of cool if Jay Baruchel tagged along at that high school party. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know, just That'd like, be know, like a little, a little something. I was going to say before we watch this bootleg edition, like some of the uh, band aids I'd like to learn more. But in the bootleg edition, you get a lot more of them, especially the Anna Paquin one, where it seems like they have a little bit of a romance going, not a, like a potential romance. Like that's a door he could have entered, like yeah. going after her because she seems like she has a crushing him despite like insulting him at certain points but not directly you know <laughs> but yeah no i mean that's a cool character like the jay baruchel character um i was trying to think about this too like other people potentially but i think they balance maybe ben Fontor. yeah but what do you like his home life you know what i mean like i'd like to honestly see maybe a ben fong torres movie or i i think this could be i might have mentioned this on hoffman but i think if this was going to be remade and please don't but if it was going to be remade, it would work really well as a series. And maybe in the series he can follow some real bands, too, yeah. you know? That would be pretty awesome. Like, maybe you start this as, like, season one, and then season two you just expand this idea and continue it yeah. going. Um, but I think it... I bring it up because I think in that we would see more of the Ben Fong Torres character being something. Yeah, one episode would be completely about, like, taking place at the Rolling Stone office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'll ask, like, what about Lester... I think we get the perfect amount of when these scenes come in, it's great. We get the perfect amount. It would be kind of cool to see him maybe, like, calling out the people that are ruining music at that moment. Maybe, like, a little confrontation. It's like, fuck you, man, you're not in, like, yeah. like a little bit of it. Like, he's like, maybe, maybe there could have been a scene that he's at one venue, co- you know, covering one band that, then, uh, you know, 
a guy show up and they're opening for them or something like that. I don't know. Just like a little thing that he runs into William on the road and he's just like, so instead of one of the phone conversations, it would be in person, maybe well, a little Well, I was different. thinking that, right? Like he's a, he's a rock writer, but he's not on that, any tours here. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. But we, yeah, we could have seen him like maybe run into him in New York and have this conversation in person. But the phone thing does work out so or well. Even cool, yeah, or like the band, I mean, since they're also, they're from Troy, Michigan, so maybe they're in Detroit where Lester lives and he goes to Lester's place and they just listen to some albums together. I don't know. It's something that if it was a show, it probably could be expanded, but again, I think we got it pretty good here. He, obviously we can't say enough great things about Philip Schumer Hoffman and, and his performance as Lester. On the bootleg, the only thing of his that was extended was the initial scenes. In the, the initial scenes, but they're like significantly longer. So it's not. Yeah, like, there's that funny exchange on the street where he's like, yeah. on a ride. He's like, I took the fucking bus here. <laughs> and he's riffing more too in yeah. the. Uh, in the radio station. In the radio station, yeah. All right, I don't know if there's a good answer for this one, but I'll ask it. Long Talk Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Something that maybe felt dated or something we'd erase? Honestly, this is tough because. I guess the drummer's saying I'm gay. I guess, but it's not even like that. But I don't want to eliminate the character of it, you know. No. It's something where I think we're just like, because the questions exist here on the computer I'm looking at now, we're like nitpicking and trying to correct a near perfect film. So, <laughs> you know, it's not. I don't think that one is applicable here. All right, the next award. I don't think it's applicable here, honestly, because we don't see enough high schoolers and the way it's structured. But Cameron Fry Award. You know, famously, Alan Ruck was 30 years old playing Cameron Fry in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Did anyone look too old to be a high schooler in this film? Nah, I mean, just because, like you said, we're not getting that. We don't see enough of them, and, and Patrick Fugit's supposed to look younger, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> not a lot of applicable things here. All right, so Rotten Tomatoes, 89% by the critics, 92% by the audience. Wow. Good, but I feel like it could be better, but let's see. We give report card grades out here on High School Slumber Party. So on an A-plus to F-scale, what will you grade? A-plus. Okay. <laughs> what will you grade Almost Famous? I'm going to give it, I think, A, A-plus, too. I mean, it's so good. You don't get much better than this, and it's aging so well. And, yeah, I mean, there's not – I can't speak enough good things about this film. Perfect film. If you don't like it, fight me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, don't actually fight me, but let me know. You can fight me. Yes, fight Kyle and go on my social media and fight me that way. Um, all right, so I like this question today. You're almost famous sleeping bag. You and I were having our slumber party. I come over to your house. What sleeping bag? Based on almost famous. So, like, what does it look like? I want it to be a bag. I want it to be one of those big boxes that, like, the speakers and the guitars oh, are cool. in. I want that's it to cool. be, like, rolled in with, like, steel around it. It's <laughs> just, like, a nice kind of, like, foamy metal box coffin. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, like, design, like, you, there's so many ways you can go with this one. Because even just, like, the, the Kate Hudson posters would look awesome. Oh, well, yeah. Bag. Yeah. Um, oh, it, yeah, you should get a Jeff Beebe band on that. That's what I was going to say. I want a Jeff Beebe band. Or I'll even take, like, the Stillwater t-shirt that just had, you know, that's a cool sleeping bag. But if I could get the Jeff Beebe band, yeah. um, you know, his original band and the shirt he wears in that, like, later scene that's just his face, if I can get that on a sleeping bag, I'll take it. Or just a sleeping bag that says Detroit sucks on it. Oh, that's, oh, so many good ones from this film. <laughs> Whew. So many good ones, now that I'm thinking about it. Because even if you got the bus, uh, what's it? Dolores. Dolores, yeah. Yes. If you got the bus named Dolores as a sleeping bag, that's a cool one, too. Yeah. 
a vinyl record is a cool one too. The Simon and Garfunkel sleeping bag is a cool. One. If, how about the flight attendant uniform that Anita has as a sleeping bag? <laughs> so many good ones in this film. So many good ones. All right. So if you and I, we meet up at an airport and I say we could fly anywhere in the world, and you say I want to fly to the magical blockbuster that has every movie in existence. <laughs> And we're here. We, we, we're there, right? We're going to time machine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a magical, magical time machine. And we get up to the counter, and we're renting Almost Famous, and you see that sign, and you say, hey, Brian, it says rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Kyle, I'll hold the place in line. Go pick two movies. We're watching three tonight. What two other movies are we picking? Rockstar. Oh. <laughs> Wayne's World 2. Wayne's World 2, great. I was going to, you know, arguably the better Wayne's World. A lot of people say no, but I love Wayne's World 2. It's more it's more about the music, I feel like, right? Yeah, for sure. Wayne stock and, yeah. Rockstar, Wayne's World 2, almost, almost famous. famous. I definitely... The original not, cut. Rockstar, yes, yes. Not that this is bad, but, you yeah. know, you just got to go original. Rockstar wasn't a very formative movie for me. I saw it, but it wasn't, like, influential. But Wayne's World 2 was very influential in my life, so... And so it was almost famous, so... Awesome picks. Um, before, you know, you you plug Foodie Films and all the other great things you're doing, all the other big projects you have going, uh, wait, <laughs> I don't know, but before any of that, I have my reminder to, oh, yeah, 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 or, or you, you set a reminder, so <laughs> if you want to read it. Well, you just said, say something about American Pie and Pumpkin. Yes. Okay. So as you know, my cousin Pumpkin is getting a goofy movie tattoo. Yes. That he agreed to that's voted by... The the I was gonna say the Hoff fans. Woo, we've been doing this too long today. Sorry guys. As voted by the slumbers, he wasn't so happy with the pick which one, which is the Leaning Tower of Chisa guy. Um, That's rough. <laughs> yes, but he honored the vote of what it was, so he wants to do that. But he had one request, one request, and I can't fulfill that request without asking your permission. He said. He would like to come on and talk about American Pie, but you've already done American Pie on, on this podcast. Uh-huh. So we've already covered before. So I need your permission. I said I would have to ask you if he could do his own pumpkin version of American Pie in exchange for agreeing to this tattoo. American Pumpkin Pie. Sure, fine. But I, you were on it first, so I need your permission. 100% you have my permission. <laughs> okay, okay, because a lot of people who are really pumpkin, petitioning why are you going to do this? I'm not trying to take anything away from you right now, Brian, but Pumpkin, just think about it, man. We <laughs> can't let the slumberers down. They yes, when it comes to something on your body for the rest of your life, you can... Point is, you will let him do an, an yes, American Pie yes, reboot because yes. he's like, "Oh, I could do the sequels." I'm like, "The sequels don't count. Yeah, you can't." Yeah. The only sequel that I might do at one point is that, like, I've teased reunion like, down. Yeah, down the road, I might do like a reunion month. Yeah, of do like all high school reunion yep. films, like Gross Point Blank and That'd and Romeo yeah. and Michelle's High School Reunion, and that one, and that makes total sense. But you can't justify American Wedding or the second one because if it was between high school and college, yeah. You may be able to, but no. But that's like between like what freshman and sophomore, sophomore year of college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So guys, you know what that means? We will be doing another American Pie episode at some point. At least we did that like it might have been like the tenth or twentieth episode. Yeah, it was early on. Yeah. So at least there's that. That might have been my second episode. I think so. After Better Off Dead. Yeah. Well, Kyle, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for ushering in our junior year. I guess technically you ushered in our freshman orientation. Um, mm. I have to see where you're ranking in terms of all-time guests, but 
I you're definitely not top two. No. I don't think you're top three. No, I'm definitely there's I mean No, you're not one of the lower ones either. I've had a lot no, of No, but it's just been I mean, between Manzi and uh Kate and Yes, both Kate Hudson and Mike Manzi are both double digits this year. Yeah. So uh, but, you know, always a pleasure having you on. And guys, check out our other podcast, P.S. Love Hoffman, for three almost famous episodes on there if you want some more insight and information on that. But, of course, you do have a solo project, Kyle. Well, yeah. If, if, yeah, so P.S. I love Hoffman. P.S. I still love Hoffman. Check those out. Love talking all those great films from your Hoffman movies still. The foodie films uh, nearing... I don't have the exact number, but nearing 100 episodes. Uh, would have been there already if uh, it didn't go once every other week for a little while there. But back to a good pattern of uh, movie, first cut episode. So love talking the movies and then love talking with people that work in the food and drink industry. I've had some great conversations, interviews recently. So check it out. Go, uh, you know, obviously on cageclub.me. And check it out, and then uh, Instagram is where I post the most, because it's food, it's visual, so foodie films, media on there, and yeah, enjoy. Bon appetit. I'd just like to uh, apologize publicly to your last guest on Foodie Films, who was your girlfriend, Danielle. Correct, yes. As we are in the home you share together. Yes. And it's 1am, and we were talking about Almost Famous for, wow. yes. <laughs> for uh, you know, a, probably five hours now. Yes. So. <laughs> so apologies hopefully we're not keeping her up and yes just wanted to make that public apology and thank you for being on once again do you want to say our en- ending Hoffman line because it has to do with the, with uh, this film as well yeah guys oh this is fun stay on cool there's always more to cut <laughs> big thanks to the foodie films man Kyle Reinfried and just a correction on that Pumpkin news, that pumpkin tattoo episode news. I forgot that I announced the winner for the tattoo that he's going to get from a Goofy movie. If you don't know about it, just listen to the episode on a Goofy movie. It's on cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts. But I lied. I was wrong there. We actually recorded this right before I recorded with Pumpkin. So I had just assumed, because the last time I had checked, I assumed that Pauly Shore's Leaning Tower of Chisa guy was the winner. We actually had, spoiler alert, a tie. A tie. So that's even wrong. I'm going to let him do American Pie, and Kyle's going to let him do American Pie no matter what. But the show must go on. The vote must go on, right? So up until, like, the end of the month, we're going to do a runoff. I'll be putting that up around Wednesday or Thursday this week. We're going to have a runoff between the two ones that tied for tattoos. And that's going to be, like I said, Leaning Tower of Chisa Guy. Or it's going to be Max as Powerline. That's right, Max as Powerline. So stay tuned to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for that. But thank you so much, Kyle Reinfried. Kyle, for helping me talk about Almost Famous. And again, you can check out some more Almost Famous content on our other podcast. That is P.S. I Love Hoffman, or P.S. I Still Love Hoffman for the rewatches. Check that out for sure. Once again, big thank you, Kyle. And you know what? Watching Almost Famous, it got me in a little bit of a mood. It got me in a little bit of an, let's just say a Cameron Crowe mood, but we're not going to talk a Cameron Crowe directed feature. We're going to talk an Amy Heckerling directed feature. No, it's not Clueless, but you kind of get my gist, right? We're talking Fast Times at Ridgemont High, written by Cameron Crowe, directed by Amy Heckerling. This is in people's 
top 10 favorites, that's for sure. And our guests are going to be none other than Christian Larson and Dan Colon, two returning guests. And you want to check that out this Friday. I can't wait to talk about this movie with them. I can't wait till you listen to the episode. And you can listen right here. Same Cage Club Network, same Cage Club time. Well, we'll see. But <laughs> it'll be Friday. I promise. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries before their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson. A man with a mission. Oh, gnarly! Linda Barrett. Not exactly the girl next door. Awesome! Totally awesome! And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on moods should not drive. Times at Ridgemont High. Some say it's the quintessential high school film. We'll find out together on Friday right here. So, oh, I don't even remember how to end these regular episodes anymore. All I know is uh, getting a bit tired. Time for that old sleeping bag to curl in. I know it's a Monday, but... I just want to do the old regular Friday thing. We're not going to talk about those like Monday study sessions. Maybe I'll bring them back next Monday. But it's Labor Day anyway in the United States. So you know what? Maybe we are at a slumber party. Maybe we are curling up to those sleeping bags for the last time of the summer. Whew, what a feeling. Well, I am so happy to be back for our junior year. And remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it. Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Sorry, I just love that line. But let's end the same way we end on. P.S. I love Hoffman because I love Philip Zimmer Hoffman. I love the Lester Bangs character. Stay on cool. Oh, wait. Don't forget. Your homework on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Take it away, Elton John. Hold me closer. Tiny Dancer. Later, dudes.
Oh.